Okay, hello everybody. Good evening. Just a few announcements before we begin. This Friday is going to be the uh, uh, last time this year we go to the Boston Rescue Mission. Interested in going to the Boston Rescue Mission? Uh, this Friday at 5.45, it's for men and women. Uh, the following day at 5 o'clock, there's going to be, uh, we're going out Christmas caroling again. Uh, today we went out. It was, I thought it was just really awesome. Uh, and I really appreciate Greg uh, putting uh, this together. He's done a great job, and it was just really a blessing to be able to serve and just to, to, to bless uh, uh, you know, the old folks in these homes, and uh, I know that we were really appreciated. It was really cool. Uh, we're going out to, th I think, three different places uh, this sa uh, Saturday at 5 o'clock. Uh, be on the lookout um, over the holiday. Uh, there are certain things that, um, uh, that, are, that are canceled over the holiday. Uh, you can just be looking on uh, for the bulletin. If you happen to be one of the very few people who stick around here <laughs> during the holiday, uh, just uh, um, be aware that probably over the holiday, men's group witnessing a women's group uh, will be canceled over the holiday. But this, this week is as normal, except men's group, it's going to be Boston a Rescue Mission instead. Next year, um, in, in the beginning of the year, we're going to be replacing the men's group uh, with a home fellowship uh, on, on Friday night. The women's study will continue on uh, in the book of Habakkuk. And so uh, with uh, Stephanie Cole, world-famous teacher, uh, teaching through the book of Habakkuk. Uh, a couple things um, uh, on my heart, uh, w one that I shared this morning, and that is uh, uh, the, I, I really believe that uh, we have had, for those of you who weren't here this morning, uh, that you know, Paul talks about in the, his first letter of the Corinthians, last chapter, that he's got um, an effectual, effective and great door that's been opened up to him in the, in the city of Ephesus. And uh, I think through... Um, through uh, the ministry of open-air campaigners. And we have here tonight Aaron Wentz from Open-Air Campaigners. Can you just raise your hand? Uh, Aaron, he's going to be sharing with us tonight uh, that uh, that door has been opened for us. Uh, he uh, uh, called me last summer. I didn't know him or the ministry, but we looked into it, and they really checked out. And we, it was just such a blessing uh, last summer working with the kids over here in Mission, Maine. Uh, we are going to be starting up again uh, soon uh, uh, on Fridays at uh, 3.30 to 5. Uh, and I'd like anyone who's interested in, in joining them at 3.35, uh, Angelina is going to be heading that up. Even if you can't come every week, uh, it, uh, this is something that uh, I, I really, over the last few months, I, I really feel like the Lord has been speaking to me that uh, this is a door that he's opening up for the church. And it's been great because uh, we planted the seeds and, and then we have a sproutling that's come up with a few kids coming to church uh, each week, uh, which, is, which is just wonderful. And... Uh, and uh, we want to continue that. Aaron's going to be talking more about that tonight, but there's a sign-up in the back if you're interested. Not necessarily commitment, uh, but even if you're just interested, uh, please sign up. And uh, if, you, uh, if you park downstairs, we have free parking tokens. We do not pass a plate here at Calvary Chapel, but there is an offering box in the back. And if you have beepers or f cell phones... 
or anything else with techno demons inside of it. Turn it off right now. Uh, because we are going to be, uh, we're going through the book of 2 Samuel, and as we go through the Old Testament, and uh, we tonight will be in chapter 19, verse 9. Before we begin, let's pray. Does anyone need a Bible, by the way? Anyone need a Bible? Two Bibles. Hey, Mike, where'd you go? Two Bibles. All right, there you are. Two Bibles here. One here. And one here. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for the whole counsel that you've given to us. Genesis to Revelation, Lord. And uh, the, just how it builds up our life. We thank you also just for the, the grace and the mercy that we've been seeing every week in the Old Testament, Lord. Time after time after time. Uh, when people, uh, when the Israelites or someone falls into uh, just a deep hole... Uh, because of their own sin or rebellion, or because uh, just because that was a place that you wanted to them to be, Lord, we see you drawing them out in the mercy and the grace, and Lord, the picture, uh, Lord Jesus, of you that we see throughout Scripture, and and how much we're just being built up by this, Lord, and and we just thank you uh, for, uh, very uh, much, Lord God, for that. We're grateful. Please give us more grateful hearts. Please make us more dependent, uh, dependent on you, Lord, uh, as we're going through your word. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, uh, uh, David, reaping the consequences of his sin with Bathsheba, which we saw in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Prophet Nathan said uh, several things to him. One, actually, there was four things. One, he, that the child that he uh, was conceived by his uh, one brief night of pleasure with Bathsheba uh, was to die. Another was the sword was never to depart from his house. Uh, another was uh, that his wives would be uh, given to a neighbor in, in the sight of all. And third, that adversity would rise up uh, from a neighbor. Uh, and uh, by now we've basically seen all their th- those things run their course uh, with uh, the baby dying, with uh, uh, the sword in his own house, with his, one of his sons killing another one of his sons. Uh, we see uh, Absalom taking over the kingdom and going into all of David's concubines, uh, and then just the adversity. It turns out that the neighbor that uh, the prophet Nathan was talking about is his own son. And, and, and so uh, his son had, has taken over. Uh, we saw him taken over, and, uh, and, and David, uh, rather than uh, staying in Jerusalem and risking uh, God's holy city there, and the and uh, the just the the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle that that was there being uh, destroyed. He leaves the city, uh, recognizing that it's the chastening uh, of God that he's going through. We didn't see him shrink back from the chastening of God. So important uh, that we don't try to run away from God's discipline. When we're being disciplined, it's for our own good. Uh, we didn't, uh, at least most of us, didn't 
uh, you know, run away when, from our parents when we knew uh, we were in trouble. We, 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 we took it, whether it was a whooping or whatever it was. Uh, the Bible says that God uh, chastens us be, uh, because he loves us, even as a loving father or mother chastens uh, their children. And David doesn't shrink back. He accepts the chastening. Even as he's going away from Jerusalem, there's some guy who we're gonna, who's going to show up in this chapter again who is cursing him and throwing rocks at him, the king. And, 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 and David's own generals wanted to cut the guy's head off. And David said, no, this is from the Lord. And, and that was just such a tremendous insight um, uh, uh, that, that when we are going through whatever, the trials of life, we need to recognize that nothing gets into our face. No one starts throwing rocks at us unless God allows it. Uh, and, and, and so, but what happens uh, is that uh, Absalom winds up being defeated and uh, he, uh, remember Absalom was this guy who had just this unbelievable uh, uh, ego. Uh, in chapter 14, we read that there, there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. Uh, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut at the hair of his head at the end of the year, uh, uh, he, he weighed the hair of his head uh, at 200 shekels, according to the King Standard. So he had this, this incredible bushel of hair, uh, beautiful hair, and, and wore it long and um, was a very uh, beautiful man. And it says in chapter 15, he would rise early and uh, he would stand at the gate and he would basically steal the hearts of the people uh, of Israel away. And so he took over the kingdom, and, uh, um, but he is defeated and he's running away in battle and he's running through a thicket on a mule and the and it appears what happens that a tree, uh, you know, he's trying to get away from David's men because it says he, get, uh, he came upon David's men and, and it appears that his hair, that which he had so much pride in, uh, wound up getting caught up in the tree and he basically was just hanging there and Joab, came, uh, uh, Joab the, the, uh, the uh, general of David's army, came by and, and killed him. Even though Joab was told, actually the whole army was told not to touch uh, him, David didn't want anyone touching him. Joab disobeyed that and and killed him, and so uh, that's where we left off last week. And so, well, let's pick up in verse nine of chapter uh, uh, of chapter nineteen. Now, all the people were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, "The king saved us from the hands of our enemies. He delivered us from the hands of the Philistines, and now he has fled." Uh, from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, who we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? So this is all the people um, in Israel who had gone to Absalom, and now they're realizing, man, we really messed up. You know, we don't have a king now. We're leaderless. Uh, And then... And verse 11 says, So David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house, since the words of all Israel have come to the king to his very house? You are my brethren. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? And so here what's going on is, all of Israel asked, was saying, you know, we really want David back, except for one, Judah, which was David's own tribe, the tribe of Judah. So that's what's going on there. 
in, in verse 11, he's going to Zadok the priest and Abiathar who were in Jerusalem and saying, speak to the elders of Judah, saying, you know, what's going on? Why don't, why don't you want to bring me back? Uh, why don't you want to bring me back? And then he said to Amasa, uh, now Amasa was the general of Absalom's army. He was the general of Absalom's army. And this guy's got to be thinking, man, I am in big trouble. I mean, we're talking about, what, 3,000 years ago? I mean, you know, kings didn't take kindly to, rebel, to generals of rebellions um, over them. But David uh, went to Amasa in verse 13, says, and he said to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? I mean, he actually was a relative of David's. I think he was his, um, his nephew. Uh, God, God so to me, and more also, if you, not, you are not commander of the army, uh, before me continually in place of Joab. So he swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah, just as the heart of one man, uh, so that they uh, sent this word to the king, return, you and all your servants. And then the king returned and came to the Jordan, and, and Judah came to Gilgal uh, to go and meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, uh, who was from Behirim, hurried and came down uh, with the men of Judah to meet King David. Uh, and so uh, we'll talk a little bit about more in, in, about Shimei in a second. You know, I was talking this morning a lot about unity, unity in the church, the portent of unity in the church. Uh, you know, and David here and the people, they're in a very precarious situation. They're basically had just been a civil war. And, and David, uh, you read in uh, Psalm 133, uh, David knew full well the just importance to the heart of God. David was a man um, after God's own heart. He knew how important it was to have the people of God united. And, and, and so this, this chapter is really uh, um, continues this theme about just the importance of unity. United we stand, divided we fall. It may sound corny, but it's absolutely uh, the case. A divided Israel is going to fail. And a united church will be, be a great force, a great power uh, in, in a city. A divided church is a weak church. Uh, 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 and, and, and a b- weak force and, and a bad witness. Uh, a united family provides an atmosphere for wonderful things. A divided family. Uh, it, there's going to be just uh, horrible things. I mean, consider the impact of divorce and, uh, on this country. And so the importance of unity. And, and you know, in churches, you know, some of you have heard me say this before, but churches, uh, they can, you know, go through a lot of things. You know, people in churches, they can take... People can take bad coffee. They can take, uh, they can survive, churches can survive bad coffee. They can survive um, uh, bad worship. They can survive bad preaching. But the one thing a church isn't going to survive, and that's division. Division will come in, and like a locomotive, it'll just plow through and destroy everything in its wake. And how often you see that. Uh, and, and I've really seen that, you know, I moved away from up here when I was nine and uh, lived in a lot of other places and came back ten years ago. And uh, one of the things I really began to notice up here is just is endemic to churches up here. I mean, there's division everywhere, but up here, it's just such a problem. Uh, uh, division and bickering in and, 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 and churches and church splits. And I don't know if it's like the 
this independent spirit, like, you know, we fought against the British and, you know, this type of thing. And I don't know what it is uh, about up here, but, but we want to just really uh, read uh, what the Word has to say uh, about a unity. And David here, he's going to strive for unity, and we're going to see how hard it is, uh, how hard it is, and how hard we really have to work at it, uh, work at uh, unity. Uh, turn with me to John chapter 17, which really expresses uh, the heart of God uh, when it comes to unity. Now, uh, in John chapter 13, Jesus told his disciples, uh, by this the, the world will know uh, that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. Uh, you see in John chapter 17, this is the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is is praying for them. And uh, you will see here uh, really the, the emphasis as you go through this, um, through this chapter of, of unity. Uh, and, you know, look, look at verse... Uh, I just want to pray through, through some of this. It's such a, 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 wonderful, um, a wonderful psalm here. I mean, a wonderful chapter here in John. And uh, it says here, let's start off in verse, um, verse 10. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So, so note just the word all. They're all mine. All, all, all mine are yours, and, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Just the, the real concept there of uh, the feeling there of unity. No, uh, now I am no longer in the world, but uh, these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through, your na- um, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. And, and, and so uh, this, uh, this chapter here continues uh, like that. Verse 22, And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. And, and so really, this is the heart of God. Uh, David knows that. Uh, Jesus, laboring here at the very uh, end of his life, um, he's praying that for us, for us here in this room tonight, for, for, for unity and, and, and spiritual warfare. Uh, you look at spiritual warfare and what that really is, it's all about uh, Satan sowing seeds of envy and strife and jealousy among the brethren. He wants to tear apart ministries. He wants to tear apart families, uh, cities, workplaces, neighborhoods. And, 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 and what God has put together, uh, whether it's a marriage or a church or a family, Satan wants to destroy. And, and, and so David is the man after God's own heart. He realizes that uh, uh, unity isn't just going to happen. I mean, the second law of thermodynamics is true uh, in, in relationships. What's the second law of thermodynamics? That, you know, every, things left unattended will just crumple and die. Well, they'll, they'll just get worse. And, and David knows that if he does nothing, uh, it's going to be a disaster. And that's why you just see this positive step in verse 11, he sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to the house? And, and, and so, you know, here's a man who he's humbling himself. Unity and always takes humility. And, and he could have sat 
you know, over there on the other side of Jordan and, and gotten into a pity party and they're going to have to ask me back and, you know, this type of thing. Uh, but he knew the, imp- the importance of Israel. Israel, were the, the people of God, through them the whole world was going to be blessed. Uh, and so uh, he, um, he calls them back. He sends to Zadok there. Uh, it's interesting that he, he, he starts with Zadok and Abiathar. Those are the priests. Those are the spiritual leaders um, of, the, uh, of, the, uh, of the kingdom of Israel. And it, it is so important. See, David recognizes the importance uh, among, to, to have unity amongst the leadership. And I just really would like a prayer for everyone in this room that you pray uh, for the leadership of this church for Scott and Greg and I and our families to be unified, to love one another. Satan would like to just rip us apart. You know, he'd like us to start swinging at each other. Uh, and that's why I take uh, it so seriously, my relationships with Scott and Greg. We try to meet every single week. We try to pray to each other. We try to be transparent uh, with each other. Because let me tell you, church splits always start in the leadership. Always. You know, elder boards or whatever, or deacons and just, uh, you know, uh, pride gets up there and, and, and all of a sudden it's, uh, you know, some people are following some uh, elder and someone's following the preacher and someone's following the, uh, the, the leader of the choir, whatever. Uh, and, and, and so David recognizes the importance of, of unity at, at the leadership levels here. And that's where he goes to first uh, Zadok and Abiathar. And again, in order for there to be uh, unity, uh, there, there has to be humility. Again, I want to read uh, James uh, chapter 4. I want to read from there. Again, uh, you don't have to turn there with me. Uh, James chapter 4. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from the desires for pleasure that war in your members? Uh, you lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not ask because you do... That you do, you do not have because you do not ask. You do, you ask and you do not receive because you you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Then he goes on. Let me tell you, God resists the proud. He resists the proud. All that warring, all that strife, was because of pride. Was because of pride. And if David was going to resolve this thing, there was going to have to be humility. Now, I want to contrast that. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I want to contrast what we just saw in James chapter 4 of of what happens with um, people who are warring with one another uh, there and all that pride uh, of what it takes to have unity. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, is the elect of God Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone is a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. And so, what a contrast between that and James chapter 4. Do you see the humility? And sort David knows this, so what does he do? He asks the general of the, the rebellious army to be his general. And so, what, just an enormous amount of humility there. 
Uh, and, and again, it's because he knew what was at stake, the kingdom of Israel. Uh, the line of the Messiah is, is, is with this kingdom and, and the importance of preserving this. And it was worth, it was worth killing his pride, eating his pride uh, and going to this man. And so what happens when he asks Amasa to be his general? Well, all those rebellious soldiers who were under Amasa, uh, they know their pardon too. Forgiveness is at the very core of unity. Forgiveness is at the very core of it. Uh, And so uh, you see that here. And and then uh, we continue to see it with Shimei. Verse 16. Now, this guy uh, Shimei, uh, again, just a couple uh, chapters before, uh, David was leaving Jerusalem. And this guy, in chapter 16, uh, it, it says he... In verse 5, he came out and was cursing continuously as he came. Amazing. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of David. So he's throwing rocks not only at David, but everyone that David's around. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right and on his left. And Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. Wow. And, 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 and so Abishai, uh, Abishai, one of his generals, comes up to him and says, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. And, 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 and the king says in verse 10, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? So let him curse because the Lord has said, curse, The Lord has told him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? So now we're back in chapter 19, and this guy Shimei is shaking in his boots. I mean, what's this guy David going to do to me after what I did to him? I better run to the Jordan River, and that's exactly what he does. He runs to the Jordan River, and he pleads for mercy. So let's read that. And Shimei, the son of Gera, verse 16, uh, a Benjamite, who was from Behurim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There was, were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons and his twenty servants were with him. And they went over the Jordan before the king. Then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and, and to do what he thought good. Now Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king uh, when he had crossed the Jordan. And then he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me or remember... What wrong your servant did on the day that my lord the king left Jerusalem, uh, that the uh, king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Uh, Therefore, here I am, the first to come uh, today of all the house of Joseph, to go down and meet my lord the king. But Abishai, here goes Abishai again, the son of Zariah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. And David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? that you should be adversaries to me today, shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For, for, do, for do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king swore to him. This is amazing. I tell you, this is amazing. We're talking 3,000 years ago uh, that uh, David, who was the king, is forgiving this guy Forgiveness is always at the center of unity. It always is, it always has been, and always will be. And and so, again, remember what Jesus, uh, we've been talking about uh, throughout our study of the Old Testament, 
you see foreshadowings of Jesus in the life uh, of different people, and one of the foreshadowings that you see of Jesus is in the life of David, uh, the forgiveness that is so far over the top of what man has ever seen. Of course, we'll see that magnified a thousand times on the cross. Uh, but here, uh, David is, he's, he is the beginning of the line of the Messiah, and, he, and God is starting to point people to uh, a, a man one day who will be the sort of the perfect model um, of this, the Messiah. And so, um, you know, I, a lot of times when there are different situations, uh, you know, in the church or, or in ministry and, and it, it comes necessary for, for someone to, to repent of something, uh, oftentimes I'll get the question either in that context or some other context, what does repentance look like? You know, what does it look like? And, you know, I always say this, there's Dave back there. Hi, Dave. Welcome back. <laughs> um, sorry, I usually don't do that. Um, <laughs> but we've missed Dave. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, um, we, uh, uh, you know, what does repentance look like? Well, there was an old Supreme Court case you've probably heard of one of the justices who was uh, asked to define pornography. It's like 30 years ago. I don't remember which one it was. Um, uh, but he said, look, I don't know what, uh, I don't know how to define pornography, but I know it when I see it. Uh, that's what the Supreme Court justice says, and, and repentance is like that. I, I'm sorry for the very coarse analogy, but um, uh, it really is true. Um, I, I, I don't, I can't really describe to you. We can go to Second Corinthians chapter seven. There's a pretty good definition there, but repentance, you really know what it is when you see it. And, and, and as much as I really don't like this guy Shimei, what he does is, does is repentance because he brings a thousand people, a thousand of his men. And he is willing to humiliate himself in front of a thousand people. That is repentance. Now, now this guy, um, David sort of puts him under guard uh, at a later time, we'll see. But this is really repentance. I mean, you have to give this guy credit. Uh, he, he does what he's supposed to do. He, he, he begs him, and in 99.9% of kings that that guy would have, at that time would have slaughtered this guy. They could have cared less that he was coming up. So he was doing, you know, repentance is also very risky. You're, making, you're, you're becoming transparent. You're, 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 um, you're laying things out and, and, and really uh, putting your life even sometimes at, at risk. Uh, Jesus said, settle with your adversary. Don't wait for the ones you offended to find you. You go to them before you even go to the altar. You go hunt them down. And, and that's what he's doing. He hunts David uh, down. And so uh, uh, unity always requires a forgiveness and also that we, we accept others' appeal to us for, for forgiveness. Uh, and next, uh, next in line here, you see Mephibosheth. Verse 24, now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. And so it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, why, do you not go, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? Now remember, when David was leaving uh, Jerusalem, Mephibosheth's uh, uh, servant, Ziba, came to him uh, and... and he had all this, these uh, things to, like goods and cattle and bread and everything else to take care of David. And, and David 
remember, Mephibosheth was, was lame. Uh, he had been asked to, he was the uh, son of Jonathan. He'd been asked to, uh, to stay at, at David's table for the rest of his life. Uh, and and uh, when David's leaving uh, Jerusalem, Mephibosheth doesn't show up, but Mephibosheth's servant Ziba does. And, and David asked his servant Ziba, where's Mephibosheth? And, and Ziba actually said, oh, well, he's going to stay in Jerusalem because he thinks he's going to become king. Uh, and, um, and, and David says, okay, I'm going to take all his um, land and give it to you, Ziba, his servant. Well, here's uh, Mephibosheth, and uh, he shows up again, and, and David says, well, why, uh, why didn't you come with me? And he said, my, my, in verse 26, uh, my lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for your servant says, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame and he has slandered your servant uh, t- uh, to my lord, the king. So Ziba uh, had gone to him and uh, what Mephibosheth is saying is that Ziba had lied. So David doesn't know what to do here. And so uh, what David does is he basically tells them uh, in verse 29 he says, why do you speak to me any more of your matter? I have said, you and Ziba divide the land. So he says, okay, you guys divide all your property. David had already given it all to Ziba. He says, well, now I want you to divide it. He wasn't sure what, um, whether he was telling the truth. Uh, and, and what does Mephibosheth say here? He says to the king, rather let him, Ziba, take it all inasmuch as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. So what uh, happens here is Mephibosheth says, look, I don't even want half. It's, it's good enough for me that you're here. Give Ziba everything. Does this remind you of anything? Remind anyone of... There's a man, you know. Does this remind you of a story? Solomon, that's right. Uh, they're very, very good. I'm sorry to put you on this part. You knew it, I'm sure you did. <laughs> it, it reminds you of Solomon. Uh, that, you know, where Solomon... Uh, Remember the story about the, the, the two women? They both had babies. One of them rolled over on her baby, and, they, and the other one, one of the women steals the baby from the other, and, and Solomon says, okay, cut the baby in half. And so the one woman goes, oh, no, you just give it to her. And, and Solomon knew by that, by, that, um, by that action, he knew whose, whose mother the baby really was, and it's very similar to here. Now, at this point, everyone knows that Ziba is lying. And then, and then in verse 31, Barzillai meets him, and, and David says to Barzillai, hey, come back and live in the palace uh, with me. And, and Barzillai says, wait a second, I'm, I'm, I'm 80 years old, verse 32. Uh, and, um, and, and he says uh, in verse 35, why do I want to go to the palace? I'm 80 years old. Can I discern between good and bad? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? And can I hear my... Uh, any longer the voice of singing men and the singing women. So he's saying, look, I can go to the palace. I'm not going to be able to taste what you give me because my taste buds are gone. I'm not going to be able to enjoy the drink. I'm not going to be able to hear the singing. What good is the palace for me? But he winds up uh, sending him, uh, sending his son. And then in verse 40, uh, w- so there's, what you have here is this procession of about a thousand people. They are um, headed towards Jerusalem you know, all these different people joining the king. Uh, and then in 40, this, now this is where I get back to the thing, unity is so, so hard. Uh, it says 
that in verse 40, now the king went on to Gilgal and Shimham went on with him and all the people of Judah escorted the king and also half the people of Israel. Uh, just then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king, his household and all David's men with them across the Jordan? So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is a close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense? Or has he ever given us any gift? And the men of, of, of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten shares in the king, meaning that there was ten tribes. Uh, therefore, we also have more right to David than you. Why then do you despise us? Uh, we're were we not the first to advise bringing back our king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Verse 20, uh, chapter 20, uh, Then there happened to be a rebel whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite, and he blew a, trump, a trumpet and said, We have no share in David, nor have we any inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his own tents, O Israel. So every man of Israel departed David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah from the Jordan, as far as Jerusalem, remained loyal to the king. We're going to pick up there uh, next week. But here's the deal, okay? What happens? Why does this guy Sheba think he has uh, an opportunity uh, to become, to lead a rebellion? It's because he sees division breaking out in the ranks. And so this should be a... Um, this should be a warning to everyone's heart, everyone's heart in this room, of, of how uh, important your contribution is to really be seeking the Lord, to make sure there's nothing in your heart, uh, no grievances against other people, uh, no animosity in your heart towards anyone in, in the body of Christ, whether in this church or anywhere. Because what happens then is it gives Satan an opportunity to bring in a Sheba and, and, and start luring people away. And creating division. Now, this is all going to have, um, we're all going to have a happy ending, although it wasn't very happy for Sheba. It was a pretty bloody ending for him. Uh, he was a, actually, he got a major headache at the end of the day. Uh, but, um, but we'll see uh, that this has a good ending. But, but you see, this is what I'm talking about. Unity is hard. And the reason it's hard is because, is because again, at the heart of spiritual warfare, you know, there's a, there's a kingdom out there, a kingdom of darkness is as real as this, this music stand right here. And, and the n- number one objective is to cause division in the ranks. And, and if we're not watchful, if we're not in prayer, we'll just be lured off into, to a Sheba. And God forbid that any, any of us should be a part of something like that. And so um, I am going to, to close right there. Uh, we will... Uh, Pick up there in chapter 20 next week. And now I just want to call up Aaron. Aaron Wentz. Aaron, can you come up and join us? He's going to share uh, about his, his ministry, the Open Air Campaigners. Uh, and I've got to tell you, from um, everything that I've seen of these guys, i just, I got to tell you, I just think you're great. I really do, because uh, I've always been really big time into street witnessing, and and it's something a lot of churches uh, shy away from. These guys don't, and they they come into the city, and and they're they're doing God's work, and and our church actually is interested in in doing more stuff with these guys and supporting them. So I'm going to, I am going to turn...
How's that? Okay. I said, there's a Calvary Chapel in the city. I said, no way. He said, yeah. So you got to get a hold of him. I said, really? So I, I gave him a call out of the blue, and I always hate doing that. You feel like a, you know, like a, like a telemarketer or something. But I called him up, and we got to know each other. I got to know Greg. And um, I'm with a mission organization called Open Air Campaigners. And what we do is that we go literally into the world and share the gospel with people. And that's why I have the PowerPoint tonight to share with you what that looks like. Um, and so just our history briefly together was that this last summer we did some uh, street ministry over in the Mission Hill uh, area. We uh, did a five-day Bible club in the Mission Hill projects. Um, from Monday through Friday, we went around and gathered kids and people together. And we had a wonderful turnout sharing the gospel. We really pretty much reached a, a neighborhood for Christ. And it was great to see this church go back and try to establish contacts. And it was really amazing. So I'm really appreciative of you guys being here. And also, just the fact that there's such a, a dryness in this city, that you guys are here is so good. And I'm so excited to get to know you because I hope that as people are one to the Lord, I can funnel them into your church. So I'm really happy to be here. So um, let's see if this PowerPoint will work. Uh, I'm married. Uh, This is not my wife. Uh, This is just a picture of her. Uh, My real wife is right here, (laughs) Tanya. And I have a daughter, uh, Kasaya, who's two years old. Uh, My son, Kyle, he's five. Uh, he's next door. I'm sure having a good time. And we live in Whitman, and our office is in Boston here in the Dorchester area. So I have that daily commute with the rest of the Bostonians in every day. Well, as Pastor Steve said, what we do, what Open Air Campaigners does, is that we literally go into the streets, the colleges, the subways, the housing projects, and try to do our best to present Christ. Does anybody know where this is? Look familiar? The downtown crossing, right? Well, in a sense, I'm a street preacher. Yeah, I'm a street preacher. I don't have a big black Bible. I have a little small Bible. And I know I've never hit anybody over the head with it. I've wanted to, but I've never hit anybody over the head with it. <laughs> I have many stories, trust me. And um, let me give you a brief testimony how I got started doing this. I got saved in 1992. And I was one of those people that had a Saul of Tarsus conversion. I know many people are looking for God's will in their life. When I got saved, I just knew. It just, the Lord just said, Aaron, you're going to be an evangelist. I just knew it with all my heart. And I went to Moody Bible Institute and got an evangelism degree there. And Chicago has 8 million people in it. And all you got to do is walk right outside the doors of Moody, and the world is right at your doorstep. And I met Tanya there while we were going to school. Let me just share a brief story how God touched me to get into this work. We were driving, excuse me, we were taking a bus across Chicago and going to an inner city church that we fellowshiped at. Well, being kind of from northern Michigan and seeing the world right there in front of me, it just was overwhelming. And having that evangelistic heart, I just saw all these people and I just was was, uh, overwhelmed with the souls around me. And here's this bus full of people and driving through the city. And the one story that touched me was that here, I was looking at this young lady, maybe in her 20s, and I just was in my heart, I was praying. I said, God, how do we reach people for Christ? There's all these theories, all these ideas, how you reach people. And just looking at this young lady and this bus full of people, and I said, Lord, how do you reach people? 
how do you bring the gospel to them? The bus pulled over at the next stop. An elderly lady got onto that bus, and she handed out gospel tracts to every person on that bus. And at the next stop, she got off. And here I was, literally two minutes later, I was seeing this young lady, this 20-year-old, reading the Word of God. And the Lord just said, He just gave me a good divine slap and said, you know how people hear about the gospel? You tell them. You tell them. Brilliant, isn't it? Brilliant. But then came the idea of, well, Lord, how do you do that? Is there a way that people can actually listen to you so you don't look like an idiot? Well, open-air campaigners came to Moody, and they are in 25 countries around the world. They have 100 years of history. And I saw what they did, and I was very impressed with them, how they could capture a crowd of people on the street. This is downtown Boston, and you notice that I have an easel board or a paint board. We use creative methods to draw the attention of people. Just like in John chapter 4, when Jesus didn't go up to that lady and say, hey, I'm Jesus, I'm the man, come follow me. I mean, sometimes he did, but that lady, he had a different approach, right? Hey, I'm thirsty, you know, related to her, and then swung to the spiritual. We kind of do the same thing. We use art, we use creative methods, we use object lessons to get the crowd, then we swing to the spiritual. Um, this is another shot of the downtown crossing. Uh, of course, many people will listen. Oftentimes, many people leave. And what will happen is that after the presentation is over, there will be people there that will want to talk to you. So the, so the public proclamation of the gospel leads to the one-on-one. Often, people say, well, what about the friendship evangelism? Or what about personal evangelism? But they don't understand that the public proclamation leads to that one-on-one. Where you get out your Bible and you share with someone, right, one-on-one. This is uh, Northeastern University. In the fall and the spring, we also do a lot of campus ministry. And I love the college campus because uh, students are very eager to try and, especially in Boston, to try and debunk the Christian. So (laughs) I get a chance to uh, defend the gospel, and um, it just blows me away. I, I, I go back home to Michigan about once a year, and just people don't realize how much of a spiritual dryness there are, how much people need the Lord. I mean, I go to BU and MIT and Harvard and North, Northeastern and other places, and I'm just guessing, but I'm saying 1%, 2%, 3% maybe of these kids, I mean, know the Lord at these colleges. I mean, I was down in New Jersey a little while back, and Probably half the crowd in my, in my, when I was preaching, about half the crowd was, was believers. Oh, praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord. Keep doing what you're doing. But when I go to colleges, when I go to downtown crossing, once in a great while, I'll have a believer say, praise the Lord, brother. Keep it up. Dryness. People need the Lord in a bad way. Northeastern is, is a great place. Here's Rhode Island College. And what I do there, instead of giving a kind of a message like I would on the street, I try to open it up for questions. And, you know, everything comes up in the world from the Bible's not true, there's no God, to gay marriage, to whatever it is. And, God, you know, with the love of God, you can give them an answer. And uh, it's, it's a really 
I think it's fun. <laughs> it's fun to me. I like it. Now, one thing I want to do before I go on is that if you guys ever have an opportunity where you have a day off, um, maybe you have a vacation day, and you say, man, wouldn't that be something to go out and try that? I'd love for you to come. You, you don't even have to do anything. You just stand there, and you watch, or you pray. And if you get a little energy, you want to try something, you can hand out the tracks or something like that. But you know what? Part of, part of my ministry is equipping the church to do the work of missions and evangelism. So one way that I can be a help to you guys is providing an outlet for you guys to go out and do some things if you ever have the opportunity. So please give me a call if you ever want to just come out and just participate in any kind of way. Okay? Another thing is that we all know that the, the mission field is right here. I mean, you, I couldn't go to Iran and say, you know what Muhammad was? He was a phony. <laughs> he was, he, you know, I, could, I, could, I couldn't bash Muhammad at all. But here in America, we got all kinds of people. We got Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and everywhere. And you can be totally transparent with them. You can be open with them. You can open up the Bible and talk about who Jesus is. And it's wonderful. And I love sharing the gospel. Here's a guy from Iran. And it's just awesome to be able to share the gospel with the world. Well, people often ask, well, what do you do in the wintertime? It's cold. What do you guys do? Well, it's great that you can, well, it's going to be $1.70 now, right? But you can pay $1.70. And you can go into the subway, and literally, we can preach the gospel to two to 300 unsaved people in two hours for $1.70. Pretty neat, huh? Pretty neat. You know, when I was at Moody, that's the first thing I started doing was going to the subways and just sharing the gospel. I, I totally felt like someone just kicked me off a cliff, but I did it, and I was amazed that people listened. It was amazed that people listened. And just the other day, I was preaching in the subway here in Boston, and an MBTA inspector came up to me and said, man, people listen to you guys. And, of course, we give God the credit for that. But here's, here's the orange line, and here's one of our evangelists, Richard Burley. We have five of us here in the Boston area, five missionaries. And here we are sharing the gospel, sharing our testimony uh, with the crowd before the train comes in. And what we do, I don't have it with me, but we do certain object lessons or a rope trick or something that communicates the gospel in a creative way. And again, that method often is a good hook for people. Here's the blue line. If you guys ever take the blue line, um, here's a, get a different picture here. There's me. There's the rope trick I was talking to you about. And um, maybe next time if I have a chance to share with you guys on another Sunday night, I might bring some of those with me and show you what those look like. But it's amazing how you can share the gospel using simple things like a rope trick to illustrate the gospel message. Um, tracks are given out. We get responses by email and phone calls from people who will read the gospel literature. Um, this picture right here is, um, this is Kadisha, and this is Hanan. They are... Uh, two Muslim people that got saved. I'll flip through that because I always, I always cry when I see that picture. They are two uh, Muslim women, former Muslim women, I should say, that got saved. Hanan got a gospel track from us in the subway. And we uh, talked to her. She invited us over to her house. Never had the Bible, read the Bible, I should say. 
gave her an Arabic Bible, did Bible study with her, and she came to know the Lord. And then she brought her friend Kadisha to the Lord. So these are former Muslim women. So it's exciting just to see what you can do in a simple, something like the subway. Well, we, we talked about the children's ministry over in Mission Hill. This is kind of what the children's ministry looks like. This picture was actually taken in Brockton. Uh, this is my van. Uh, I have a very unique vehicle. Uh, you, can, you can figure me out anywhere you go. A blue and white van with Bible verses on it with a platform that comes off the side with speakers on top. And uh, what this does is we can, uh, I don't always use the van, but you can use the van this way to go into a neighborhood and, and share the gospel this way. What we do with children's ministry is that we go around and we go out in pairs and we invite kids to come to a free kids club. Hangmen, puzzle, boys against a girl, song, magic trick, Bible story, prizes for the best behaved boy and girl. And again, this is what we did in the Mission Hill area and got a good response. This is a basketball court in the Dorchester area. Some kids were playing basketball. Hey, guys, do you want to you have a free kids program? Oh, yeah, sure. Stop the basketball game, slap the, the sketchboard up against the, the basketball hoop, and tell them about Jesus right in the basketball court. So, um, again, from the public meeting, we get into one-on-one -on -one conversations. Uh, this is, of course, just a young, young man and a teen that we trained. Uh, we do a lot of training with churches and youth groups that come and want to do youth groups because going overseas is so expensive that often churches don't realize that they can come to the city and they can experience a multicultural, impactful mission trip right in a major city. And so here's this a young teen being able to share his faith. I will skip that picture because it always makes me cry again. I should just take, <laughs> I should take those pictures out. And uh, I think I can get through them, and I can't, so I'll, I'll have to work on that. This, act, this picture was actually taken in Mission Hill. Uh, I, just, I just remember this young boy just because he'd never heard of Adam and Eve, didn't have a clue. So I, just, I, just liked, I, I think I, I brought this picture in just because that boy reminds me of all the kids that we meet that just don't have that Bible uh, or that church background anymore that, you know, that we can reach them by going out to them. Um, Kids are hungry. I tell you, kids are great. And kids are a way to reach the family, you know. And I really appreciate you guys doing that very hard work of trying to reach the home of these kids. It's very hard. It takes a long time, but it's worth it. So uh, also what Pastor Steve said, and I'll close here, is that um, years ago, from us doing open-air evangelism, street evangelism in the Mission Hill area, we got invited inside at the Mission Main building. And so we started an indoor Bible club there uh, in the wintertime, and it's still going. And so I'd like to see open-air campaigners be gone and Calvary Chapel in the city take over. I would. You know, we're just a prayer church organization. We're here to help the church. So I'd like to see us get move out of there and you guys take over. Real, realistically, I would. So if you guys want, if you guys have Fridays off from 3.30 to 5 and you want to just come and uh, if you like kids' ministry, love to have you. So this is just kind of what uh, our Bible club would look like when we work with the kids. Um, I think that's, that's it. So uh, I'm sure we have a minute or two left. Does anybody have a question that they'd like to ask me? Oftentimes you fly through a presentation like that and people have, they have all these questions about in the back. Oh, I know that people have, thank you, I know people have kids and stuff, so, in the back? So what is the response 
I would, I would ask you that. I, do you have your cell phone number? I'd call, no, it's kidding. <laughs> no, if, so, if someone asks me, what, what do I say when the Bible's not true? You know what? Here's a really simple answer. I ask them if they've read it. You'd be surprised. So many people, they have all this, they have all this garbage in their head because they've heard stuff, but they've never read it. I say, have you read it? I mean, I used to try to, like, when I was at a university, and they get into all this evolution stuff, it occurred to me, I, I, wait a second, have you ever read the book of Genesis? No. It's, you know, it's like, give, give it a try, read it. So I would, as a, in, in this format, a simple answer to you would be, have you ever read it? And talk about some of the amazing things in there, like, how Jesus loves people, how Jesus did miracles, you know, the life of Paul or something that, that just could capture people's heart. People often, they just hear stuff like the Da Vinci Code stuff. They hear this stuff. They hear this garbage. They hear the lies, but they've never read it for themselves. They haven't really, they don't realize the power of the Word of God. And sharing your testimony and how God changed you through the Word of God is also a great answer to them. But if we had more time, I might give you some other answers, but uh, thank you for the question. That's, yeah, I do. Thank you. Thank you for the question. That's a very important question, by the way. We always have to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. And the Bible is under attack like anything else today. Any other questions? Greg? Okay. Yeah. You mean the one on Friday or just? Yeah, just, I mean, what it looks like. Okay, sure. Yeah, what we do is that we use the sketchboard. We use the, you know, the, the paint board. We use object lessons. We have a hangman puzzle, boys against the girls, that teaches a Bible verse. They get points for coming, points for bringing friends, points for memorizing Bible verses, points for bringing their Bible lesson sheet back. We do field trips with them for getting enough points to go. We play games with them, and so that's what the Bible club would look like. So if you came, you would be, you would be helping in uh, counseling them, going over the Bible lesson with them, playing games with them, and then if you wanted to learn the, the method that we use, such as this, the sketchboard, uh, we could train you in that as well. Okay? Sir? Starting like from the subway when people are pushing Apple Bustle, how do you actually get people to Yeah. In Chicago, the trains are like zoom, zoom, zoom. They're going really fast. But in Boston, as you notice, right, people, I mean, it's faster too, but they're coming on both sides. The, the, the platform's in the middle, and the trains are on the left and the right side of you. In Boston, whether it be the orange line, the blue line, or government center or whatnot, except for government centers on both sides, but generally all the lines are people would congregate in one area or sit in one area, and the train comes in on one side. So you have about five to six minutes to give a gospel message. So the street is great because you can wax eloquently as long as you want, as long as you know, you have all the time in the world. But in the subway, you got to get it in in five minutes. Talk about good training. Okay, share the gospel in five minutes. Go, right? So it's kind of fun to be able to, to get that presentation down in five minutes. So what's great is that people will sit just like you are now, and I'll, and I'll stand up. And I'll say, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Aaron. I'm down the subway today, and I'll get out my ropes, and I'll start into my, my presentation. 
So again, once in a while, like for instance, I had a professor from Northeastern just a couple weeks ago. He, I was handing out a track. He refused it. It was my turn to preach. He walked all the way down. I, I see, he looked like a rock star, this guy. I see, he had earrings and long hair and everything. I thought he was a rock star. I want to get his autograph or something, you know? He looked really cool. So it's my turn to preach, so I get up and, and everything, and, and he, wouldn't you know, the same guy comes back, and he's like, what right do you have to be here? You know, he wanted to know, do you have a permission to be here? So once in a while, we'll get someone like that. And I just said, sir, do you know why the highways are so crowded? I said, because people want to be left alone. They want to be in their own little world, in their own little box, driving on the highway, and they want to be left alone. But I said, when you go into the public transportation system, you got to deal with drunks, and you got to deal with people like me. <laughs> and he said, good answer. <laughs> and, he, and he smiled, and he loosened up. So, yeah, once in a while, you'll get someone to, uh, uh, who'll get mad. But you'd be amazed how people will listen. It's really neat. Really neat. No problem. Um, sure. Like anything, a track or open air presentation, it doesn't reach everybody. You know, it doesn't reach everybody, but it reaches some. Um, if someone, um, if something as simple as, um, no thanks, I'm a Catholic, I would say, I would say something like, you got a minute? Or, well, tell me about your spiritual life. Well, can I ask you a question? I love this one. Do you believe in God? It's a three-question turnaround, okay? Well, you believe, you're Catholic, right? You must believe in God, right? You say, yeah. Well, you believe in heaven? Sure. Well, how do you hope to get there? So it's a three-question turnaround. You believe in God, so you're, now you're at his level. He feels proud of that. Yeah, I'm a Catholic. I believe in God. You believe in heaven? Yeah, sure. Well, how do you hope to get there? Baptized. Yeah. So then you have the whole plethora of answers that could be given, such as, I'm a good person, I go to church, and at that point, we would have to spend more time together on how to give that answer. But the general, the number one answer I hear is, what do you think it is? Catholic or any other answer from any other religion? What do you think it might be? I'm yeah, I'm a good person. And that's, that's the number one, besides the Bible, one of the number one apologetics we have to have an answer for today is the, is, is the person that says, I'm basically a good person. So um, I can refer to you some good literature to help you with that. But that's a very important one. Yeah. Depends where you are, such as Harvard Square or downtown Crossing. You don't because it's a public sidewalk. But I cannot go to places like, um, let's say, Faneuil Hall or Quincy Market. I couldn't go to Quincy Market. That's private. But So you just have to know where your boundaries are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why the way God put, you know, the, the way God designed me and put a call on my life is <clears throat> I know that open-air evangelism will not be forever in this country, right? I know that. But if I can preach to 200 people in a day, I'm going to keep doing that till God shuts that door. So that's why I feel it's very important that we take the opportunity that we have, the freedom we have. I mean, the church in America today is so scared 
they're so scared about what, what people think of them. They're so petrified. And I've seen the power of the verse that says, speak the truth, of, you know, speak the truth in love. I've seen that verse work so much is that you have the confrontation of the truth, but when it's done with love and a smile, you'll be amazed how God tears down those walls and gets right to the heart. I mean, I've had, I've had um, a lot of times people say you have to, it's true. A lot of times, most of the time, you have to develop relationships with people. But on the street, you'd be amazed of how transparent and open people are to tell you where they're at, where they've been, what they're struggling with, amazing it's really neat so again if you guys ever want to come uh, I hope that I can be a blessing to you in bringing lost people to this church but if we if you can I if I can get you out there with me you'll 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 feel how a blessing that is you know one verse I thought of as I close um, is uh, from the NIV and it is Philemon 1 6 it talks about how that by sharing our faith, we realize all the good things that we have in Christ. That's the Aaron Wentz translation, but uh, roughly of the NIV. But it's, if you read that verse, Philemon 1.6, it basically is referring that when we share our faith, we realize all the good things and all the blessings we have in Christ. You know, God designed us to be like a river, an intake and an outtake. If all we do is take, 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 and soak, and soak it in, soak it in, we're really not growing the way God wants us to grow. Because when we get the knowledge that God wants us to have, we're supposed to then take that knowledge and give it away. And when we give it away, as we communicate our faith, and we see God work, and we see God bless people through us, we see people's lives transformed, and people grow and change through us. This constant cycle of learning and growing, knowing God's word, then giving that out to people and watching God use us, we, we, we're strengthened. We're challenged. We're blessed. We grow that way. And I, can, I, I can't tell you how many people say to me, I've learned more in my spiritual life in these past days. Like a youth group or someone comes out or a pastor or a youth pastor comes out. He said, I've learned more in five days. I've heard people say this. I've learned more in five days being on the streets than I have all my time in Bible college. How in the world could they say something like that? Because if it's just all take in, you know, just soaking all this knowledge, but you never give it away, and you're not letting God use you, you won't grow the way God wants you to grow. Being challenged is a good thing. Being questioned is a good thing. Sharing with the hope you have is a good thing. Sharing your testimony is a good thing because when you, when you trust God, when you're challenged, it you, makes you what? Depend on the Lord, doesn't it? It makes you trust the Lord, and it makes you grow. It's awesome. It makes you grow. You're challenged to grow. You have to grow because you know that you're going to have to give an answer. And that's where Christians are often so scared of. But you know what? God's got it all under control. If you just step out and you, and you serve the Lord in that way, he'll take care of it. So, Open air, again, there's only a short window left in this country. It won't be forever. So I'm thankful for the opportunity to do that. There's five missionaries in open air campaigners, Boston. Uh, we are faith-based. We are funded by love gifts, and that's just how we operate. We live month to month. Um, 
excuse me, um, there's, you know, we don't have salaries or anything like that. So just, you know, we're, we trust the Lord for all of our means, and uh, th- that's how we, how we get by. So, uh, you know, so any, any church that comes and wants to partner with us, we're like, I feel that we're like an arm of you guys. We're like the extension of you guys, you know, because as I get to know you and you get to know me, you know, I'm going to be on the streets. I'm going to be in the subway saying, oh, yeah, I know of a great church in the city, you know, and, and hopefully we can, we can just partner together and grow together and do more stuff together and get you guys out there sharing your faith and just we're all together uh, be a witness, greater witness for the Lord. So, um, so I think that unless there's anything else pressing, I think that's it. So thank you, Pastor Steve, for your gracious offer to have me come. That was a, that was just a real blessing. And so, um, Scott, do we have enough time to, to pray after tonight? What time is it right now? Okay. Uh, on Sunday nights, we have a time of prayer uh, about 10 minutes after the service. We're going to go ahead and do that uh, again this evening and each, each Sunday uh, that... Um, that we pray uh, if you're if you're able to stay not everyone stays you're perfectly willing to go home and get your beauty sleep uh, but if you're staying we uh, we pray each Sunday for a ministry that we support I would like to, to pray for Aaron Wentz uh, and his wife Tanya and the open air campaigners and what they're doing here in Boston uh, that God would bless them that uh, just for the ministry to open up those doors uh, let's pray for them uh, this evening uh, also, I'd like everyone, I, I guess uh, Nick got into a car accident. I don't think anyone was seriously injured, but uh, he also called uh, for, for prayer as well. And lastly, why don't we pray for Eric, too? Eric's up here interviewing, and we want him to come back. So let's pray for favor. Uh, uh, I understand that his uh, interview went good on, fr- uh, on Friday. Uh, but he has more interviews tomorrow, so let's uh, um, also pray for him. And then any any requests that you all have uh, amongst each other. But uh, Aaron, thank you uh, so much for coming. We got to get you back here on a Sunday morning. Can, are you can you come on Sunday mornings? I know it's pulling you away from your church, but do you do that type of thing or? I do. Okay, I do. not putting on the spot at all uh, here. <laughs> I've never been put on the spot. Oh, that's right. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to have you come here on a, on a Sunday morning. And so that sign-up sheet is in the back, and it'll be, uh, be there for a while if you're interested in, uh, in Mission Maine. Uh, but uh, why don't we close in prayer? Father, I just thank you for this evening, Lord, everything that happened, Lord. Uh, and we just uh, thank you, Lord, for the example of the life of David and that, what that shows us. And we do pray, Lord God, that we would be as one, even as you've uh, you prayed for that. And Lord, we pray for uh, Aaron and Tanya and the kids and the ministry and the open-air campaigners. Lord, we pray for unity just in that, that ministry of five uh, men and their families, Lord. Uh, just so important, Lord God, that, that they just give um, their relationships uh, over to you completely as their Lord, uh, knowing, Lord, that there is no option other than to, to love each other. I just pray for that, and I also pray for their finances, that you'd 
just open up that for them, Lord, too. And I just also pray, God, in the name of Jesus, uh, just for what they're doing. God, give them favor. Lord, we pray for Boston. We pray for revival here. We pray that you would open up the hearts uh, of, of the people of this city. And, Lord, we, we wait upon you because we know that's only going to happen uh, because of you doing it, Lord, that your mighty right arm, we pray for that, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, God bless.